Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 109, Popeless Rome and the Rise of Cola. It's not the drink. We once again shift our gaze to Rome. Roma, the eternal city. Caput Mondi, the capital of the world. Rome is a bit of a mess. It is, however, a wonderful mess. It is our very Italian mess. The Romans of today can be identified quite clearly by their distinctive accent, their boisterous nature, very direct manner that does not mince words, and their friendliness and helpfulness even to the point of sending you in the wrong direction because they want to help you so much they'll help you even if they don't know where they're sending you. I have been fortunate enough to visit many times, although my mum likes to remind me that when I was little I would force everyone to spend most of the time at the fun park around the corner from my uncle's house. Allow me to share with you my most vivid and memorable moment of the city. I may have already told Patreon supporters about this, and maybe even all of you, so feel free to skip ahead a bit. Sometime in the early 2000s, when I was still a prominent member of Amnesty International, I was called to give a talk in Rome at the Campidoglio, the Capitoline Hill, where the Rome city administration is located. Now, as my wife likes to point out, I am very non-Italian with my obsession with being on time. When the first Harry Potter film came out, for example, I had the poor woman out in the cold 45 minutes before the cinema even opened. So, to make sure I was on time for the conference to be held on Saturday morning at 10am, I thought it best to take a night train and hope to find a seat to snooze on. So, in the dead of night, I headed to the station, looking elegant in my suit and tie and professional-looking briefcase. I boarded the train and had my first setback. It was packed. There wasn't a free seat anywhere. I searched carriage after carriage and finally found one that was totally empty. Not a soul in sight. What great luck. I settled in and got comfortable just in time for the train conductor to announce that the carriage I was in would be detached from the rest of the train at the next stop. Back into the crowded train. No luck anywhere. After a further long and increasingly anxious search, I did find a carriage that had a few spaces here and there. There was a reason that this particular carriage 
had such a rare commodity on this train as free seats. You see, it had been taken over by a group who was going to Rome for an anti-prohibition protest in the city. They were in favour of the legalisation of marijuana and they demonstrated their support for the substance freely and in abundance. I chose a compartment as far away from the puddle of puke in the corridor as could be found and settled into the compartment. I was relatively well received. A few drowsily greeted me, others didn't seem to really acknowledge me and still others may have thought I was a figment of their imagination. After all, I was a guy in a suit and tie settling into a carriage full of people with Rasta hairstyles, baggy clothes and Bob Marley t-shirts. Not that I have anything against baggy clothes, Rasta hairstyles and Bob Marley t-shirts. In the end, I did manage to sleep. The fumes may have helped in that sense. I arrived in Rome just after dawn to find a ghost town. From the Roma Termini train station, I took the underground to the Colosseum stop. As I emerged into the daylight, there it was, the Flavian Amphitheatre, the Colosseum, staring down at me, ancient and impassive. There was no other human being around. I made my way from the Colosseum to the Capitoline Hill, overlooking the Forum on my left as I passed the Palatine. As I looked over those ancient ruins, I felt that if I concentrated really hard and focused, I could almost see the ghosts of the ancient Romans, hear the bustle of the city waking up. I have read a lot of books and seen a lot of films about time travel, but that was the closest I've ever come in my life to time travel. It was one of the few times I was so greatly pleased to be completely alone. To this day, I can close my eyes and conjure up that scene, feel the same feeling and even imagine the ancient Romans looking up at this odd time traveller. It was unforgettable. After I had woken from my reverie, I made my way to the Capitoline and climbed up round the back. There was nobody to be seen. I was still early, it wasn't even nine yet. Finally, I caught sight of a custodian and told him I was there for the conference. He looked at me with pity as he chuckled. You're in Rome. If you have a conference at ten, you'll be lucky if anyone shows up before eleven. Before we go back to mid-14th century Rome, a word from our sponsor. If I had been walking along beside the Forum in the early 14th century, I perhaps would not have felt so safe. It would have been one of those post-apocalyptic films where bands of thugs answering to one another of the local lords would fight it out over control of patches of the city. 
The city that in its ancient glory had reached over a million inhabitants was now reduced to less than a tenth of that number. The effectiveness of the papal governments had been variable at best, but with the popes off in Avignon, in Rome it was anarchy. The system of papal government had never been one of investment in infrastructure or other long-term improvements, but it was based on corruption and handouts, with the poorer parts of the population basically relying on the papacy's charity to survive. So much for teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. It was as if the city was left in the hands of the children of the Lord of the Flies. For example, when a fire broke out in the Lateran Palace, all the citizens could do, without even a resemblance of organised firefighting, was to watch it burn. You will remember that the Pope who transferred the papacy to Avignon had been Clement V, who, in 1314, died, and after an interregnum of almost two years, was replaced by John XXII. We have spoken about him as the aggressive Pope who tried to squash the Visconti of Milan to the point of sending a failed crusade against them. Not that his predecessor, Clement V, was a big softie or anything, which could be demonstrated by the trial and burning at the stake of one Fra Dolcino. Fra Dolcino, meaning little sweet, was a friar who may not actually have been a friar. In the early 14th century, he went on one of those frequent poverty and fasting and real evangelic life campaigns. He had the crazy idea that the church should take care of the souls of Christians and teach them the ways of the gospel. I mean, everyone knows they were really supposed to seek power and material riches. How silly of you, Fra Dolcino! Anyway, he became pretty popular preaching around Lake Como and rounded up a good number of followers. Now, St. Francis of Assisi about a hundred years before had done something similar, but in all his preaching he had never actually attacked the church. Quite the opposite, he had preached obedience to the church. Fra Dolcino, on the other hand, declared open season on the Pope and the high clergy. He and his band managed to get by for a while, especially when they had the support of the Visconti. They even occupied an area of the Valsesia in the Alps near the current-day Italian border with Switzerland. However, when the Visconti withdrew their support, they were soon surrounded and besieged by a papal force, and Dolcino was tried and burned at the stake in 1307. Again, that was under Clement. Then came John XXII, who was a pretty good businessman who managed to fill up the papal coffers, only to have them be squandered again by his successor, who took over in 1334, Benedict XII, who ended up having to tax the pants off of people to the point that the rulers of Germany and England ended up refusing to pay. All the while, 
the Romans kept sending delegations up to the popes, begging them to return to Rome, but the pleas fell on deaf ears. The new guy didn't have to wait around too long before he too received a delegation from the Romans in 1343. The leader of this delegation had something different though. He was a handsome, intelligent and well-spoken young notary of 30 who went by the name of Cola di Rienzo. The name was short for Nicola di Lorenzo Gabrini. He was an example of a self-made man, having been born in a humble family in 1313 to a father who was an innkeeper and a mother who was a washerwoman. Later on, when he started to lose his grip on reality, however, he would claim that he was the illegitimate son of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII. Carla was a true Roman, born along the banks of the Tiber in the city near a watermill. Back then, you could still get watermills in Rome. Now, since the 1870s, there have been giant walls along the river to avoid it flooding into the city, and you have to go downstairs to get to the river. His mother died when he was only seven, and he went to the city of Anagni, where, rather than take up a trade, he started to study and eventually managed to become a notary. He made his way back to Rome at the age of 20 when his father died and started to make a name for himself as a good notary and a great orator, to the point that he was selected as one of the 13 Buoni Uomini, the good men who were sent to Clement VI in 1343 when Carla was 30 years old. The delegation was well received also because Carla had thought it would be a good idea to pass by Francesco Petrarca, Petrarch, first to have a favourable introduction. The two became the best of friends. To the Pope, Carla painted a dire picture of the situation in Rome and denounced the oppression and violence of the barons. This made him a pretty important enemy in one of the cardinals, Giovanni Colonna, a prominent member of one of those Roman noble families, the Colonna. The Pope was quite impressed with this charismatic figure. He gave him some cash, a pat on the head, not really, and sent him back to Rome as the notary of the Apostolic Chamber, a sort of papal representative, if you will. Carla di Rienzo took this to mean that he was now actually in charge of Rome, and when he got back, after some time spent in a tense cohabitation with the barons, he managed to whip up the plebs into such a frenzy that a sort of mini-revolution took place and swept him into power. The Roman nobles, for the moment, stayed quiet. He took to managing the city, and at the start actually did a quite a good job. He managed to sort out the finances and even set up a relatively just justice system which saw both rich and poor end up in the slammer, which did not please the nobles at all. For the moment, they stayed silent. Carla was loved by the people and 
even came up with an imaginative way to inspire and communicate with them using giant allegorical frescoes on the walls facing the market area in which Rome was depicted as a boat in the middle of a choppy sea and also surrounded by wolves which were supposed to be the nobles. The Roman nobles, for the moment, stayed quiet. Cola set out the Ordinamenti dello Buono Stato, the Orders of the Good State, and became so popular that the people acclaimed him as Signore, and Rome once again became a sort of commune. Finally, the nobles had had enough. The first to make a move was Stefano Colonna, who attempted to depose Cola only to have the people rise up against him. When they saw what had happened to Stefano, the other nobles fled the city, leaving their henchmen to be massacred by the angry crowd. Cola di Rienzo was then made a tribune of the people, digging up an ancient Roman title which he held along with another papal representative. At this point, the nobles understood that they would have to put aside their generations of mutual hatred if they wanted to get back to ruling over Rome and killing each other in peace. They were totally hopeless at it. So deep ran the hatred among the Colonna, Orsini and Savelli, just to name a few, that they were incapable of uniting against the common enemy. So, as Bugs Bunny often said, if you can't beat them, join them. And they all started falling over each other to get in Carla's good books and see what advantages they could gain. The first to submit was once again Stefano Colonna, followed by Rinaldo Orsini, then Giovanni Colonna, then another branch of the Orsini from Monte Giordano, and Francesco Savelli, who actually ruled over the area where Colla came from, meaning that, in theory, he should have been his overlord. So, there was Nicola di Lorenzo Gabrini, tribune of the people of Rome, ruler of the city. He had got the finances under control. He had seriously reduced crime in the city. He had set out laws, won the favour of the people, and even overcome the resistance of the powerful nobles. The latter had even started readily paying taxes. That is so not something Italians like to do. Carla had big ideas. Perhaps he could use this moment to spread his influence beyond Rome, to the whole peninsula, perhaps even further. He was the king of the hill, the top of the world, Roberto was his uncle. What could possibly go wrong? Thanks very, very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the first half of the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. That's Anthony G, Brian J, Carrie W, Celine, Chanel, Chris, 
David L., Dean V., Douglas, Francisco, Greg, Ignazio, Il Valentino, James, Jeff Malloy, Jeffrey W., Juan, Julia, and Old John in Milwaukee, and of course, Kevin. Also, thank you, thank you to the tippy-top level, Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri, and those are Paolo, Lisa K., J.W., Andrew M., Brandon S., Maxime, David A., Peter W., Kevin O., and David L., and of course, Sen. Welcome, welcome aboard to new Patreon supporter, Muella. I hope that's the way it's supposed to be pronounced. If you would like to get in touch, you can do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. I've had emails recently from various listeners, which I always enjoy, and I always try and get back to you as soon as I can. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media, that is Twitter and Facebook, and my new social media manager for Instagram would like me to remind you that we indeed are a bit more active on Instagram, thanks to my son and social media manager. You can also go to the support page and become a member of the Patreon family and have access to extra content. Now that I'm getting the podcast back on track, there will also be some extra content going there soon, so look out for that. Once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Settle down, people, settle down. Now, we all know why we are here. There is a problem we all need to get rid of so we can go back to the way things were. Yeah, those damn old scenes. What? Shut up. You shut up. Come here and make me. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I wasn't talking about the Orsini. Oh, sorry. Quite all right. The Orsini really do suck. Hey, but... They are not the greatest threat at the moment. Really? Ah, the Colonna then. Death to those dogs. But I am one of the Colonna. You suck. Shut up, you dog. I... Hold on, hold on. That's also not what I meant. Oh, sorry. I do tend to get a bit carried away. The Savelli then will run them through every last one of them. Dude. Aren't you a Savelli? Me? Oh yeah, you're right. Now I see why you murdered your cousin. Oh quack, Grandma Savelli's gonna be pissed. Why'd you kill him anyway? Ah, you see, I'm a green hat Savelli, and he was a red hat Savelli. So what's the difference? Well, what a dumb question. We wear awesome green hats, and they wear those stupid red ones. Is that all? That's why you repeatedly stabbed him. Well, yeah. Sounds fair. Can we please get back to the matter at hand? Sorry. Sorry.
So, who do we want to kill then? The Pope? Whose side is he on now? No, not the flippin' Pope! He's miles away! And he drinks up everything our family members tell him. I mean that meddling Carla di Rienzo. Ah. Yeah, I hate him and his stupid big murals with us as wolves. <laughs> I bet the wolf with the big ugly nose is supposed to be you. You can talk. I'll bet the one with the goofy teeth and tiny wolf bits is you. How dare you, you swine! I'll stick my sword through that giant snout of yours. Oh, I give up. Hey, Colonna, where are you going? To swear my allegiance to Carla di Rienzo, you are hopeless. What? No, wait, I'm coming too. No, you're not. I am. I had the idea first. You filthy liar. Liar, liar, breaches on fire. <laughs> Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.